0: Welcome to If You've Come This Far, our podcast where we, uh, we entice interesting, smart people to come on the show and have conversations with Sean and me about um, sort of about all things related to living fuller lives. Uh, and this week we have a cool guest who I really enjoyed, uh, Christine Parath, um, who hails from the same alma mater as our boy Sean. Uh, She's a Holy Cross grad. Uh, Sean, how would you uh, how would you introduce us to Christine?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, I I learned about Christine through the Holy Cross magazine. She had done an interview talking about her latest book, uh, Mastering Community. Um, Christine is a, a professor at Georgetown and a business consultant working with a lot of businesses throughout the world um, on their community and civility practices. Cause her, her book before mastering community was mastering civility. And I just thought both of those topics were not only, um, germane to what we do in men living, but, but certainly are important topics for anyone living in this world at this point in time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think Christine is very engaging, you know, for us also, the fact that she was a two sport athlete at Holy Cross playing um, soccer and hoops was, was also pretty interesting though. She didn't really talk much about, she didn't, she shied away from talking about her, her athletic ability.
0: Yeah. She was modest on that front. I feel like we could have had a whole different podcast on that because you know, it's part of her DNA because she also references uh, the sporting world a lot in the work that she does and this comes up.
1: Well, in fact, she's her. I think I I believe her master's is from um, UNC Chapel Hill, and she's doing some work there with the with the women's soccer pro, uh, women's soccer program, which is um, by all accounts, yeah, right. So, um, no, I th- I think uh, a great conversation for anyone not only interested in aspects of community and civility, but but the application of those things within business, uh, which she spends a lot of her time on. So, um lot to be learned here. Yeah, civility is such an interesting high
0: ROI idea, right? Doesn't cost that much to be civil, and the payoff can be huge. So, uh, the last thing I'll say about Christine is I mean, she's just cool as shit.
1: Like, yeah. she was really fun to talk to. So, very much. Yeah. Maybe it's just a, maybe we're just fun to talk to. And so that's, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, and we bring people in and they have a good time. I, maybe you're the fun one.
0: <laughs> no no, that's not true but yeah let, let's not shy away from patting ourselves on the back we are awesome
1: yes <laughs> right yeah thank you uh here's christine so we found out that you played both hoops and soccer at holy cross and studied economics
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm ashamed i'm ashamed that the work <laughs> effort i put in compared, <laughs> compared to, to what you did um is that just how you roll? I mean, was, wasn't it was that very hard?
2: Uh, it, you know, it was challenging. I loved it. Uh, I think going into college, I really didn't want to give up basketball. Like, I'm undersized, I would say. Uh, so the natural, you know, progression was through soccer. I was playing Olympic development soccer and, you know, kind of had a lot of um, great opp- opportunities with soccer. And so basketball, I kind of came on you know, my junior year and then my senior year more. And so there were opportunities. I just really didn't want to give it up. I think basketball came more intuitive to me. My dad's one of five boys. And so, you know, he he could coach me and us kids in basketball, not so much in soccer, you know, just from being American and not having as, as much experience in it. So I think that there was just a part of me that, that I did see it as a challenge. I mean, that may be part of it you're you may be on to something I have some friends that say that like you know what does it have to be hard for you to want to do it and Uh I interesting I I don't know but uh but I was I felt really fortunate I mean I as you know Holy Cross I just felt like it was such a great balance and I think Chris you're from Notre Dame so that was actually one of the other you know my final three uh so to speak but you know the balance of academics and athletics that was really important to me. I knew I probably was not going to be making millions playing professionally. <laughs> <thing>.
0: <laughs> well, you would have been doing better as of like last week, right? Of course, playing. <laughs> thank God. Um, so it, Christine, in the event that one of your brothers listens to this, I got to yes. put you on the spot. How many of them did you regularly beat up? on? <laughs>
1: basketball well, she talks about her brother in the book, right? I mean, her brother, yeah. Mike, Mike, right? Started yes. the mighty. So yeah, that'd yes. be interesting.
2: Yes, um, I did. Mike was two years younger than me. uh, And in high school, I actually played boys soccer. He was probably not too happy with me because that was all there was. I, I actually was not planning to play. I transferred into the school we had moved. And the coach knew a club coach and said, you know, you have to play. And I was like, I'm already playing volleyball. And he said, "Um, I'm going to fail you in Spanish if you don't play. (laughs) And so I thought, well, I guess I'll be playing that. But it was actually, again, a really great experience. I mean, there were embarrassing moments, but I think, you know, that saying, what doesn't break you makes you stronger. And so It was it was really good. So yes, Mike probably did not like me too much all through high school. And then you know I so actually I had a boyfriend at the time who said you know once you go away to college it's going to be fine. Like you guys are going to get along much better. And I thought I don't think so, but he was right. You know I I think it took some time to kind of went on our paths and eventually came back together. And as as hopefully it shows in the book, you know he's someone that. I admire so much uh, as a person, as a leader, all of that.
0: I mean, you still kind of skirted the question a little bit, right?
2: Like... <laughs> I, did. I did. I mean, I, I had some wins and losses against Mike growing up. We would play two on two with the neighborhood, two boys, basically. And uh-huh. so, there were, there were a lot of sports growing up, anything and everything uh, as much as possible. So it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I miss those days.
0: Oh, way. yeah. Yeah. Did you grow up out east?
2: No, in the Midwest, actually. So not that far from, I think, where you guys are I'm from Cleveland. So both my parents are from Cleveland. All
0: right. Yeah. I'm an Ohio boy. I, ah. I, don't, I don't go around bragging about it, but, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're, very uh, proud. Anyway. you're very proud oh and by the way she did choose holy cross over notre dame she made the right choice
0: wow we're really starting off on the wrong yeah. foot here aren't we yeah, yeah. now just, i just went to my 30-year reunion uh uh back there this past weekend so if i'm a little groggy on this call you'll know why
2: okay well, no it's a fantastic school i you know i probably would have struggled to play both there i don't know um i met with the coaches and stuff but yeah, it's a fantastic school. A lot of friends obviously went through there. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah.
1: So before we leave sports, it, I couldn't help uh, when you taught revealed in the book that you went to match madness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I start I, I was thinking about last year when Sedona Prince was taking the videos of, all right, here's what the ladies get. And here's what the guys get. <laughs> and, I just wanted to get your, you know, how you, I'm sure you're familiar with that and mm-hmm. kind of just get your reaction.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that it's getting attention. There's no doubt. Uh, we didn't think to complain about any of that. We felt very fortunate, uh, honestly, at the time, you know, I think uh, it didn't really cross our minds to be fighting for that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I took a class actually that tied to title nine and things like that, but uh, yeah, it's just something. It's interesting. I'm actually here at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. I am working with Anson Dorrance, the soccer coach, yeah, and yeah. Um, and the athletic teams more generally, but I spent the fall season with them and just attended a, a talk that he gave a couple days ago, where he was asked about this and I agree with him. I mean, he's very much about we'll make our own like there's someone that is working on filling the stadium. I think we were number one in the country, you know, in terms of women's attendance. He has built a six million dollar endowment, which spits out, you know, several hundred thousand each year, which he uses for everything. And so he's never I think this group was really surprised because he's never asked for anything budget wise you know, now he did find someone to help build a stadium, which is Dorrance Field and everything else. Uh, but that was much more recent, you know, I'd say yeah. in the last five years. And so you're talking about a man who's won 22 national championships, mm-hmm. led the the Women's World Cup really for in the U.S. in terms of setting a foundation. And I, I tend to agree with him, like if you can kind of do it on your own, that's what he would prefer. Uh, that's a hard battle to fight. So, I mean, I'm really happy and I'm anxious to learn more from Cindy Parlow Cohn, who's a graduate and along, you know, from UNC here yeah. when I went to grad school. And I think it's fantastic what she's done. So I'm happy for the women and everything, but I, I kind of like Anson's mission, which is like, let's go earn our own, yeah. you know, like, yeah. let's go and do this and really prioritize it and everything else. And, you know, I think he's helping lead the charge in one sport at one university, but I imagine that hopefully that sets a tone for other places as well.
1: Agreed. So, um, on, on to your work. So it, it, you know, I was telling Chris before we started, what occurred to me is, um, in reading both of the books, um, you know, there's just so much fe- so much hum- humanness in both of the both community you know community and civility. And so I want to start at the end, which is who do you want to be? I mean, it's the last question at the end of of mastering civility. and and what I found it interesting and I want to wrap that question around uh, this for you, which is you 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 cite um, Tasha Yurik, mm-hmm. her work. Where uh, she looked at thousands of people to say, "Okay, self-aware studying self-awareness." And ninety-five percent of people think they're self-aware, and she calculates that it's more around ten to fifteen percent. <laughs> who do you want to be when I don't even know who I am? So, <laughs> so I, that's what I'm. That's what I'm putting on the table for you to start with.
2: Yeah, it, I think it's a great question. Uh, I believe that if we want to think about how we're going to contribute. You know, to whether it's a community, a team or whatever, we really should begin with taking a look at ourselves. Um, And you're right. Most of us, the vast majority, have blind spots on any given day. So I think I'm encouraging people and, and I'm just a very slow work in progress on this front, admittedly. But I think that that's really where you want to encourage people to go. Like, take a look at yourself before. And I think this is, we could use this for society right now, before you start pointing the finger at everyone else, right? So I like that idea in part because if I'm teaching MBAs or leaders or what have you, uh, it, it is something where I think the vast majority are missing the mark and we would be far better leaders, humans, just let's start with humans, <laughs> you know, parents, uh, coaches, uh, community members, religious leaders, whatever the case may be, if we really started with where are we at? Um, where how do others perceive us? How do we close the gap and, and be you know the best that we can be?
1: And so how, how much do you think most people are particularly the students that you have or the, or the companies that you consult with, people are open to i mean people change is very difficult for a lot of people and and you cite in both books um you know a lot of personal development things in order to get to this place where you can be either civil or you can be in community because if you're not if you're not i would suggest healthy engaging in community and relationships is going to be very difficult too so uh, how are you finding people's openness to this idea of you know it, it kind of starts with me and I have to start being a jerk and be a better person. Uh, and, and you, and just one last thing, you do cite often the idea of practice, you got to practice. And are people willing to do that?
2: I think it's been a really great entry point into the conversation of, you know, all of you are jerks sometimes or are rude sometimes, or really need to work on this, you know? Uh, I, so I think it's been, a nice path in to the conversation, for example, Uh, I'm going to be teaching inclusive leadership to all MBAs. And, you know, that is not something that they sign up for. Um, You know, that that is not why they come get their MBA. That is not, they're not choosing me. They're not choosing the topic. And it's interesting. I was just talking to a friend, uh, Laura Morgan Roberts, who's at Darden, UVA Darden, and she specializes in this area. And, I was kind of curious because I often begin with self-awareness, but, but this is an area she specializes in like diversity, equity, inclusion. And she said, uh, yeah, it's identity and self-awareness. Like that's the path in like, who am I, you know, how are others seeing me, all of that. And so it was just, it was helpful as far as confirmation that the way that I get into it, people you know, seem okay with it. And I think I start out with Tasha, who is a colleague and a friend now, but her data point on, like, I just tee them up and say, what percentage of you think you have a sense of your strengths and weaknesses, you're self-aware. And of course, you know, people are very confident, right? So, uh, and I say, great, you know, that's, that's pretty usual. You know, And I said, what, what percentage do you think actually are and it was funny, I was doing a virtual presentation this week with an accounting group. And, and uh, I was getting responses like, well, all the men do, you know, and, oh. and like, oh. all, <laughs> and it was just like, wow, you know, so but the point being, I think people, at least in the audience, I, I'm picking up on that they they seem OK with that approach. Right. They and they also recognize that, hey, if the vast majority are missing the mark it doesn't make me feel good necessarily, but I recognize that like this happens a lot, right? And, mm-hmm. and I'm one of many that can improve. You're not targeting me for one specific behavior, but rather, okay, like we all have blind spots. And the other person that I talk about, which is in the Mastering civility book that I always use as an example, is Marshall Goldsmith, who wrote mm-hmm. this fantastic book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There?, and he actually created 360 feedback. Like he's the, mm-hmm. the mega mind behind that, the genius behind it. And yet he was missing the mark in terms of when he collected his own data, people said, you have a tendency to talk badly behind people's backs. And he just thought like, I'm, you know, he has a reputation for being a really nice guy. He clearly didn't mean to do that. He didn't recognize he did that. And so it's like, if the leading guru who's coaching you know, the CEOs and top executives and all sorts of organizations has these blind spots, you know, maybe we do too. And so my sense is that people have been willing to take a, you know, to be open to that and even have a a little bit of a sense of humor behind it. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, So, so if I, if I'm, if I'm picking up the pieces right here, it's like your comment about all of us occasionally being jerks, um, present company excluded. Uh, um, so, and so the problem that, so you're, I, I think what I'm hearing you say, the problem is that we just don't recognize it when we are jerks. Is that, is that right?
2: Yes. And I would say it's not even jerks. It's just little things that we may do that rub people the wrong way. You know, it's like, you know, since you used my brother, Mike, we'll just tee him up, but mm-hmm. he, he was, <laughs> Uh, You I'm the oldest of four. And so he really was great at pushing my younger sister's buttons, you know, like he didn't have to say much to kind of set her off. And I think that there are always going to be people like that. Um, Now, he may or may not have done some of that intentionally growing up. Um, You know, we'll let him answer that. But I think the vast majority of us, we do things that we might use a tone that we think is perfectly fine. Like we're working really hard to say the right things. But the problem is when we speak, we cannot accurately judge our tone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, whether it's tone, whether it's nonverbals, I'm working so hard so that you don't know how upset I am with you. <laughs> That you know, but it comes off, it shows, right? So I just think that beyond being a jerk, which all of us, I do think slip up from time to time, I think that there's so many things that we're doing that we're just not aware of how they're coming off to certain people. And of course, you know, others are, may or may not be much more sensitive to stuff too.
0: But, but so when when you talk about civility, it's the, the ends or the impact that would be civil or uncivil and not the intent or the means. Is that right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the really tricky things. And usually if I'm starting a presentation, I may have failed to do this in the book, but I try to start out saying, you know, it's all in the eyes of the beholder. That's what's tricky. And Mm -hmm. It includes all sorts of different behaviors, you know, that, you know, that texting while someone's speaking to you or, you know, I mean, there are different things that are fine to one person, Mm -hmm. uh, especially, let's say, different generations or within different industries or even different organizations like that may be absolutely appropriate. And then in others, it's like not so much. So one of my favorite examples of that was I was teaching uh, an executive group at Harvard where there were. People uh, from like Cisco and then a smaller tech firm right down the street, and they had totally different norms for meetings, meaning in one case, all technology was on. They literally had people manning when their CEO, John Chambers, was presenting, like, Mm -hmm. you know, to answer questions as they were coming in via text, via email, what have you. Another tech firm said, I run no technology meetings. I can't take it. When people are are pulled off track, when another is on their phone or on their laptop or what have you. And it just, it struck me as kind of interesting because these firms are like a mile down the street from each other in Silicon Valley and have very different norms within the same industry
1: mm-hmm.
2: for how to handle this kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, go ahead, Sean. I was just going to say, really, it, the piece about... Thinking about how people hear you talk when you feel like you're talking a certain way, really resonated with me, particularly in my relationship with my wife and thinking about how I'm trying to connect with her in a way that I think is more um, empathetic and understanding. And, and, <laughs> and she's like, you don't even hear yourself. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And 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 seriously, because I'm trying to be very self aware and very and understand the words I'm using, and just you don't you don't get the tone. And I'm like, I, no, I don't. And so and and so it was very. I mean, it was just it hit me at the right time because I I, I mean I think I'm being very deliberate, and it's still yeah. not connecting with her in a way that I'm intending it to.
2: Yeah, I think tone is the trickiest of the bunch. I think nonverbals are also challenging, particularly when you include things like cross-cultural differences, you know, I mean just cultural norms. We're coming from different parts of the world. Um I heard a really fun story if you appreciate you guys appreciate sports clearly. Uh, you may have seen it, but Kenny Smith was telling a story about Dean Smith. I was just reading the the Carolina way and uh Apparently, uh, Dean Smith, uh, they had a player from Africa who had transferred in, and he was having a really bad practice. And the assistant coach, Bill Guthridge, was on him for a long, you know all practice and finally threw him out of practice. And Coach Smith went to him, the player, after practice and said, you know, what's the matter, you know, Mac? Like, what, what's the matter? And Mac just kept looking down the whole time. And Coach Smith said, you know, are you homesick? Is that what it is? And the play at Mac kept looking down and he said, Mac, look me in the eyes. Look at me. Look at me now, you know, and Mac wouldn't look up. And he asked one more time and Mac said, where I come from, you know, you don't look adults in the eye. It's a sign of respect. And Coach Smith just said, oh, OK. And the following day, the players noticed Coach Gustridge was not at practice. And then he was not at practice the entire week. Well, Mac's mom pulled Mac and said, You know, there's this guy here. And I mean, I know Coach Smith, you know, but it's he, he, this guy says he's an assistant and he's here to learn our culture. He's been here a week. And I just thought that was so cool, you know, because that is very cool. Yeah. Fair.
0: So I just want to make sure I got that on record. You're saying Dean Smith was more civil than Shashevsky. Is that what I understood you to say?
2: <laughs> I am. I'm, as, a, as a Tar Heel, I'm not allowed to like Coach K, but as Sean probably knows, I use him as examples. I really, you know, yeah, I, I, I liked him yeah, um, yeah. as well. But yeah.
0: So um, <clears throat> I had a, a friend in high school named Paul Lichtinger who, who used to say, uh, be cool to everyone. Because you never know who's going to have a party. Now, obviously, that was tongue in cheek, <laughs> and but I used to, I still used to say it to my daughters every day when I dropped them off at school, and 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 finally, one of my daughters was like, "Well, let's let's reframe that. Let's how about be cool to everyone because it don't cost nothing." Um, uh-huh. my, my my the point of telling you that is I'm curious about in the course of your research, um, and I know there's lots of factors that drive how civil or uncivil any one of us is. But have you uncovered any sort of widespread causes for, I mean, culture, it could be any number of things, but for why people can't just smile more or, or, or be more respectful?
2: Yeah. So the number one thing by far, when we ask people, why are you rude? And we, again, assuming we all slip up from time to time, the number one reason is feeling stressed or overwhelmed which makes a lot of sense. Um, I, the second reason we were somewhat surprised about, so nearly 50% said that they felt like they, they would be taken advantage of at work, you know, if they were being, mm. let's say, nice or respectful. Um, it wasn't a winning strategy, basically, uh, which we can talk about if you want to. But like, we've done some research since then, in part, because Teaching MBAs and and execs how to lead. I do think it's important to kind of um, dispel that what I felt like may have been a myth, but it mm-hmm. was worth kind of testing out there in as many different uh, you know different arenas as possible. Uh, But about twenty five percent say because our leaders are you know so it's a role modeling thing. Mm. I, I was surprised because it wasn't like you had to give just one reason, but. Uh, about 25% blame their organizations for not training them in it, which managers and leaders always find funny because they're like, aren't they supposed to come with us, to us with these norms? Mm-hmm. Um, but 4% said because it's fun and I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're always going to be those people.
0: What about their parents though? How, like, where does that come <laughs> into play? Because that seems to me like that would have been the number one driver.
2: Yeah, I think my sense is, uh, and I don't recall that we were framing this around just work, but it Fair was enough. it was kind of. So I would say that I would put that in the leaders category. I do think role models sure. are a huge, huge part of this. So don't get me wrong. I think that if I were to coach people, uh, you know, one really important thing, the number one kind of return on investing in a strategy would be recruiting and selecting well, and so mm-hmm. I think that is like you've learned this stuff versus I have to teach you from, you know, uh, what, what kind looks like or what respect looks like. I think that that's challenging. I do think you can move the needle. Like I am, I guess a glass half full or optimistic that way, but I think a big part of it is making people aware, but I absolutely agree with your point of like the younger you start, I think the easier and better this is going to be. So you know, I'd be happy, to, especially I have a nephew that I'm targeting for this because he he draws comic books and is fantastic. But, you know, I'd love to write like a children's book on this. I mean, yeah. there are a million yeah. out there on kindness and stuff, but um, the kid and his brother, but especially him, he racks up these kindness awards and friendly neighbor and everything else. And I just think that, like, if you can encourage that at a young age, fantastic.
0: He, Your nephew must be from Ohio and not Boston, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
2: he's, he's not from boston he's not from ohio although both of his parents are from ohio so uh, that's probably there help. it
0: is there it is right there
1: go you go you go no go ahead go ahead you took a shot go ahead You get, you get to, <laughs> to ask a question now
0: uh I, my question is Do you maybe and maybe I missed it, but like, what are how do we do searches and interviews and and not miss those signs that someone is less than civil?
2: Mm. Yeah, a few uh, big picture pointers, I guess. I mean, I think there's always that risk, but I think you improve that if you increase the numbers, meaning like the different people see this person. Mm -hmm. So you're getting data from everyone, from parking attendants, administrative assistants, you know, people with especially less power than the person that can't help them. Mm -hmm. So even like the waiters, the waitresses, like how do they treat people with equal or less power? That's way more important in my eyes. Cause that's when you're, you know, most people, especially that are going to be interviewing for, These types of positions, they're probably pretty savvy by now, or Mm -hmm. you know, know that day to be on their best behavior. Sure, sure. I think so. Increasing, like, I've been involved in high level, I guess, hires, if you will, or uh, sensitive hires where you never know who's going to pick up on what. And so it's been helpful when there's several people kind of even in a room. But um, the other thing that I would say is, especially on references, like people have a tendency to kiss up and kick down. Mm. So if you are like most people's references are, you know, if not their three best friends, three top people that they worked for, you know, meaning with more power. And so I would strive to go after peers and especially people that let's say reported to them or worked under in some way
1: yep that's good stuff so so, uh this will air after your Mm -hmm. announcement chris so chris just (laughs) is it all right to talk about this sure so chris chris just went through the process he's going to be starting a new job soon um as the ceo of a new school right Ah. new school venture fund new school venture fund uh great did 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 they test you for your civility, for your kindness at all?
0: uh that's a great question
1: i would have probably given the, the shot thing. that you just gave me oh. they should have
0: <laughs> i would never take a shot like that at someone with whom i was interviewing of course <laughs> okay. um, and, I, and i know you well and i love you and yeah. so i feel safe doing that but but yeah some of the same tactics and my wife has been an executive recruiting forever and so those are familiar um, themes but yeah a diversity of interviewers Because to one interviewer, something might strike them in a different way than another. Um, Sort of, I forget what my wife calls them, like the backdoor references, right? Because if you just Mm -hmm. go and do the reference calls on the people you're given, um, we know what they're going to say for the most part. Um, But yeah, I think that that, and that's a big um, diversity and inclusion play too, is that you also have people at the interview table who look differently, right. Mm-hmm. Who come from, who, who might have those different uh, perceptions. So um, all of that rings true. I appreciate that. Yeah.
2: yeah. I also think that like asking them how they handled certain situations or when they messed up and, and what they've done to learn from it. Like, I do think that there's, you know, we cause again, are we learning from those situations? Cause we've all had them. We've all messed up. You know, I think in the book, I reveal some in their plenty more that I could have written about, but like that, that happens. So what are you taking away? How are you managing yourself differently than maybe you have in the past? Let's say
0: mm-hmm. There's a, there's a approach to interviewing called top grading. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. It's uh, from a firm out here in Chicago, but, uh, but it's a lot of that. It's like, okay, we're not going to give you one question and give you five minutes to answer mm. and move on. We're going to, we're going to dig a little deeper into that thing that happened mm. and how mm. you responded to it. Anyway, go ahead, Sean.
1: No, I, I just wanted to get to the, when you were talking about your nephew, it, it occurred to me, talking about the fundamentals, you know, I, I don't know how old he is. How old is your nine. nephew? Nine. Yeah, wow. nine. So in the section, when you talk about fundamentals, and it, it occurred to me, okay, you're going to be talking to business people about some of these things. Say please and thank you. <laughs> smile more. <laughs> listen. They're like, ah, oh, Christine, are you kidding me? But- And there's so much to that. So, I mean, right, we can come down to the complex things, but there's so much in the simple that people notice, right?
2: Yeah. And, you know, the examples that you gave, especially the smiling part and things like that, I think are actually hard right now for a lot of people. And so, you know, when I talk about these things, I'm empathetic to the fact that like a lot of these things actually may be challenging for people. And, you know, so I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I remember, you know, at Holy Cross, we had a you know, things you should have learned in kindergarten poster mm-hmm. on the wall with that list. And so a lot of them map onto that. And so, yeah, I do feel ridiculous in some ways, like, you know, I'm a business professor talking about this stuff, but I just try to put them out there as examples, but I do think I love the research that shows, for example, like that 10-5 way where Ashner Healthcare, if you were within 10 feet of people, you were to make eye contact and smile, five feet, say hello. And what they found is that civility spread, patient satisfaction scores rose, as did patient referrals. So I do love the beauty of the message of the ripple effects of these small things cuz they make a difference, you
1: know. Oh yeah, I yeah I am not I, I didn't mean no disparagement. No, I th- no. I think I think it's fantastic. I think I mean I think simple things like this back to when you were in kindergarten are the, are the things that change everything. It doesn't have to be any more complex than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: I so, love the example. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no,
1: please go Christine.
2: No, I just, I love the example of thank you notes too, which, you know, I use the Doug Conan example of Campbell's CEO mm-hmm. who he's a Chicago Northwestern grad and mm-hmm. he um it's amazing how long people hold on to that. Like I had a friend that was flying with someone who must've worked with him 15 years ago. And he was bragging about working for Campbell's this great company and He got a thank you note 15 years ago from the CEO. He was a lowly salesperson. And it's like people like that matter so much to people, especially if you're getting it from someone, let's say that you respect. But regardless, like we're not getting a lot of that these days. And so I I just, you know, there are kind of simple things that we can do uh, that, that set us up for success and set other people up for success.
0: I I am one of those MBAs. I hang my head. Um, um I wonder if the approach is to take a return on investment approach, right? Because it costs so little to be civil. It costs so little to like like wave your hand to the guy who just lets you into, into his lane or 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 wave to the person who you stopped at the crosswalk for. Um I suspect that many MBAs would get the low, the low cost of doing of civil things, maybe they just don't understand the potential impact.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, and so the, it, there's a chapter in mastering civility that really came out of noticing for probably years. I mean, I'm just lack of self-awareness, I guess, but like, it took me a while to recognize that. They really, I think, thought I got to flex my power and show my status and kind of that command and control idea, I would Mm -hmm. say, versus like Stephen Covey's new book, which is great trust and inspire, you know, and so a lot of that is built in these small moments, these how are you doing these Doug Conant talks about touch points, moments. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really felt like that's why I went down this line of research to try to answer the question directly. Does it pay to be respectful or not at work? Like, because there is a, you know, there are fantastic researchers out there that say you gain power by kind of Mm -hmm. putting others down. That is a power play. And it may be even effective power play at some places. Mm -hmm. Um, I was trying to set that up as like, okay, let's test this. No, let's see. Yeah. And what we found was in a biotech firm and then a global consulting firm and then MBAs, very diverse, you know, international MBAs, both in the states as well as in Europe. When we asked peers, so we did these social network studies, how civil are people, and then how how much of a leader are they? And then looked at performance and how much people um, shared uh, information and ask for information from them. What we found by far is that civility paid, that let's just take the biotech firm. Um, People were twice as likely to be viewed as leaders. They performed 13% better objectively. Uh, People were much more likely to seek and to share information from them. Mm -hmm. And all of that kind of makes sense. And so, you know, I think, again, we tried to generalize to like different contexts and probably the biggest one was a global consulting firm. But uh, I I liked that messaging because I wanted to be able to speak directly to that, because otherwise I think they're just thinking she doesn't know what she's talking about or that's Mm -hmm. what she hopes for, but it's not reality. Um, And so I and and actually goes back to something Sean said earlier, I think, which is the econ undergrad kind of and the Jerry Maguire show me the money kind of Uh approach, which is like, you could take this from a moral argument. You know, I currently teach at Georgetown as well. And, you know, I, I mean, I could try that. Uh, I think that I would get few to actually pay attention. I think Mm -hmm. the better argument is to make a business, you know, leadership. Why does this matter? How does this Mm -hmm. serve you, your team, the company?
0: Um, and if I can do both, fantastic. But I love that. Um, there was, a, a, I took a note uh, here. At one point I read uh, leadership now more than in the past appears to incorporate more feminine relational qualities like sensitivity, warmth, and understanding. I um, I bring that up because one of the more valuable lessons I ever learned, I used to work at Morningstar and this one guy just, I heard him say often he would Want to ins- he would want to um, offer his input, but he would always he would often say like something to the effect of I, now I may be slow in the uptake here so acknowledging the possibility that he might not have the right answer which went a long way. now at one point uh, subsequently uh, I, I I offered a piece of advice along those lines to a woman that worked for me and she fairly suggested that she'd had a previous female boss who said I can't show that vulnerability. Um, or less I'll, I'll be taken advantage of or appear weak. Um, have, you, have you disaggregated your research by gender?
2: We have, uh, and probably not enough. Like, I think more can be done in this area for sure. Uh, but we have tended to find, like, you know, both are, I don't want to say equally uncivil, but like, you know, I don't want to say one gender is worse than the other. I, we have found that women have a higher bar. You know, so maybe Sean's point about like, you know, his wife and, and, you know, just like how she takes certain things in, you know, maybe different than how a male would. Uh, so there are differences. It's also differences on how it plays out, meaning this goes back to like the research of boys on the playground, Deborah Tan and stuff, but like boys will duke it out and kind of then be done with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas girls do not, or women in this case, do not. They will, um, you know, kind of hold on to it. And in some ways, that's costly as well. Or they might wait for the right moment to get even. So a little bit more of a passive aggressive, you know, piece of it in terms of mm-hmm. how it plays out. But um, I I see her point, and I do think that there's been traditionally a lot of that talked about. I hope that that's changing, you know, uh, over time. I mean, that data that's in that book is now a little bit dated, but that was actually meta-analysis, so looking at lots of different studies over Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, uh, particularly during the pandemic, you saw a lot of articles pointing to, like, New Zealand's, uh, leader and, and Mm -hmm. other women that were handling, you know, whether it was crises, whether it was business deals, what have you well. And so I kind of remember to your point that research, which suggested that, yeah, this empathy, there's something to it, you know, and whether or not we talk about it being more feminine, like now I think empathetic leadership is getting some play, which I think is great. particularly given that, there are these concerns around mental health. And I think, understandably so, given what we're, you know, still in basically, but like the last several years, I think uh, people are going to be slow coming out of that. And some recent data I collected, and this was actually from primarily women, um, you know, people want to work for leaders that care about mental health. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a huge, huge emphasis on this. Like, you know, I've got to analyze this final bit and then write some stuff up, but it surprised even me because it's getting a mm. lot of play in the media about like, mm-hmm. our organization's going to be pay attention to this. And it's like, well, if you pay attention to, you know, what people are saying and you're at all care about the great resignation, you might want to give some thought around this. Mm-hmm.
0: Part part of that's got to be driven by the sort of upward trend in awareness about mental health, health and wellness generally. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah but also yeah. hopefully that points to an increase in civility overall.
2: Yeah. Let's hope. I mean, let's I think hope. that would be great. Cause I do think that there, you know, you asked this earlier, but I also think what's going on in society or when you're on social media, like when we're taking it in, it affects us, even though we're not conscious of it. So it, it also, I think, affects people's stress level, whether or not they're conscious of it, but we see it play out in negative ways, meaning like you're taking it in. And then, you know, when we get cut off on the road or when someone cuts in front of us at the, you know, in the airline mm-hmm. line or what have you, you're like, hey, you know, like, and let them have it versus just kind of like, whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I do think that we're getting primed to act in ways that are rude yeah. Yeah. all the time. So there's, there's more of it because of that.
1: Yeah, I I just want to weigh in quickly on the the feminine qualities thing and the hope that I think we're not, I think we are proponents of the fact that, you know, those don't have to be feminine qualities, that those Mm -hmm. can be human qualities. And and so the more we continue to to get away from that language, I think um, is a good thing. Um, uh, And just kind of on this, a little bit on this issue, you talk about touch. I think just a little bit, you touch on touch. Um, and it, and it, and I think all of us would agree that touch uh, creates real connection, right? Um, but there's a lot of issues with touch, right? So do you have a different perspective on that now after, after writing the book versus, you know, what's mm-hmm. today are our issues yeah. with this? Yeah, yeah you,
2: you raise a really great point and a sensitivity point. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Books take, you may know, a <laughs> lot longer than you would like to admit, um, right. even from the time that you submit them. So like the time that I submitted, I want to say was April 2021. It came out a year later, basically. Yeah. And that's fast. That's like, you know, mm-hmm. um. So but what was interesting, so the research that I brought up, of course, I caught it because part of it was in sports. It was NBA stars and teams that were high fiving and touching more were winning more. And actually coaches then were suggesting, like, let's start doing that more, you know, like just like anything else. It was like momentum building. Um, and, you know, like if a person missed a free throw, you, you give them a, a five uh-huh. or touch them on the back kind of thing, like a pick me up, too. So it wasn't just when something positive happened, it's I'm there for you, right? Or you touch of the mm-hmm. shoulder or what have you. And um, so I just, I found it fascinating. I love yeah. the re- researchers that do that, highly respected. Um, And so I included it. And then, you know, at the end, uh, you know, as they were viewing it, they're like, "Uh, you may want to soften this language, like, because the recommendations piece of it was like, is this even allowed in offices anymore, right? right?" Yeah. Um, So I did change the language a bit and tried to make it more in terms of emojis. And can you high five on Zoom? And can Mm. you, you know, all of these different things that hopefully convey a similar message without the literal physical touch. Um, And so, yeah, I'm very, uh, you know, I think you have to adjust to the environment, like, you know, being around even college sports teams and having males coach females, let's say like Mm. that's a really sensitive topic. And, you know, if you see a coach or an assistant coach, like they, You know, they love their players typically and all out of like the best intentions possible. But you could see where if someone wasn't getting playing time or if someone was just upset or if someone, you know, had had a bad experience with someone else like that could cost that person their career, a hug or something like that. So I do think you have to make adjustments and, you know, uh, go from there. But, um, I, I do think, you know, the, the remote stuff has really changed the nature of so much of our work. I just, I feel like it's sad, I guess, you know, in my world, like a high five wasn't like crossing any lines. Like I think, you know, hugging clearly is and things like that, not necessarily if you have a relationship, I get where maybe that's fine, but on the safe side, I can see where people say, you know, this is okay. This is not kind of thing, but um yeah, so that is shifting as as
1: yeah. you point know, yeah. out. Yeah, and it, I mean and as I sit here as we talk about it, I it I feel sad about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I you know, yeah. I mean, I think it was just my friend, one of my college friends from Holy Cross, his daughter got married last weekend in I was in New York, and he's the father of the bride. I slapped him on the ass. I'm like, nice job, good job. I'm like, so I mean, maybe that was inappropriate. I don't know.
2: He didn't uh, seem
1: yeah. to be too upset, but
2: yeah, I think it depends on the relationship with yes, people, right. you know, and everything, but um, yeah. Uh,
0: what, what, uh real quickly, remind me what the name of, you mentioned a course you're teaching now, um, inclusive leadership, was it? or what?
2: Yeah, inclusive leadership. It's actually at UNC uh, okay. for all of the MBAs. And so, yeah, it's a core class in their MBA program, which I think oh. is fantastic.
0: Oh, interesting, because I, I was, I was interested in as one metric of where people's heads are these days, how many people are opting into the class, but it's a core class. So yeah, the
2: core class. So we're changing the bar, so to speak. And I do think, you know, if, if that's an important goal for you, like your values and things like that, I do think it's nice to to get it in and to, in this case, they're getting it in upfront at the beginning of their MBA program with Mm -hmm. some other, leadership topics. And so hopefully that will set a tone. The other reason why I think that's so great that it comes at the beginning is it's a way to kind of set up the norms and to set the bar for, you know, what we care about, what we value uh, and how we're going to do this, you know? So, and really where I'm planning to start it is the self-awareness stuff. So, you know, the fact that we all have blind spots, because if you think about like even unconscious bias, you know, and you take any of those tests, which one of them was in the Mastering Civility book. It's not mine, but it's kind of famous for like, we just are biased, you know,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. in
2: different ways. Yeah, um, it, It's how we grew up. It's it's who we associate with certain professions even or certain things. Um, but, but becoming more aware of that, I hope is helpful.
0: I, I don't want to go too far into the weeds, but I'm just so fascinated with your entire area of research as mm. someone who thinks about this stuff a lot, but, um, you know, our organization, we've studied, there's a kind con- framework called courageous conversations and mm. education rooted heavily in feedback and, and, you know, radical candor, you name it, whatever keyword, tricky phrase we want to assign to it. Um, and we've incorporated a lot of 360s, not just annual 360s, but like day-to-day, there's a two-by-two matrix from the management center, blah, 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 because it's so important to hear other people's perceptions of what you're doing. If we never asked, we would never know. Um, all of that feedback stuff um, is only as successful as the trust in your organization. Um, in any of your consulting or research, do you do you dig into how do you... How do you establish trust like that? Because that's a hard thing in and of itself.
2: It is. Uh, I try to. So in the Mastering Community book, where I, in st- Radical Candor is a chapter. So I think that's super important. So I love the fact they are covering that. And in fact, I'm going to cover that in Inclusive Leadership, because believe it or not, I think that that's like really important. Um, Where I start the Mastering Community book uh, is about uniting, like bringing people together. Uh And I use um, Phil Jackson and the Bulls and the idea of like he talked to them. They're part of the tribe, you know, and he really set the table for conversations in this film room that were not about the X's and O's every day. Mm It was about connecting with people. And so I really, well, I wasn't there. Steve Kerr and many of the other players say it was such an incredible atmosphere that he established early on where people felt comfortable then sharing. And so that trust was there. And so they not only could celebrate each other, but they could cry in front of each other or they could. And I just think that as a leader, you know, we might not do it as well as Phil Jackson, but I think that there's really something to setting a tone where people are comfortable being vulnerable and, you know, sharing information. I mean, that idea of psychological safety, that's what predicts team success. I mean, that's a famous like Google study, but it's, it carries over in all different sorts of fields, surgical teams, you know, you name it. And so, I think as a, any kind of leader, but honestly, as a peer, you know, can you create a space where people feel comfortable sharing with you? And I think if I were coaching a leader, I would say it starts with you. Like you have to be willing to be vulnerable, to share, let's say failures that you've had um, to bring up what you've learned along the way, but from a sense of, you know, I've, I've had to improve I didn't start here, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, there are a lot of different ways to do it. I really like Doug Conan's idea. I'll come back to that theme of touch points. Like, for him, he changed the whole culture of an organization, which with a huge ROI, by the way, but he did it with touch points. It was brief daily interactions he had with people, whether in the hallway, in the cafeteria, in meetings. And he said, if I could handle each of those touch points well, that would make all the difference. And so I think if we concentrate on those moments and connecting with people, meaning put the phone away, pay attention. For him, he was really highlights like listening, the point of actively listening, Mm -hmm. um, paraphrasing, closing it with how can I help if Mm -hmm. if that's possible. Um, But I I love that idea of touch points because that to me boils it down to something that you can, you know, Win throughout the day, right? Yeah. Uh, do and win throughout the day.
1: So, so I have a question for the two of you. So, um, so we're working on, I'll call it, I guess, curriculum that we want to offer men that come into the organization mm-hmm. and their suggestions for living more fully. And um, one is awareness, curiosity, intentionality, um, live emotionally, and last is live with candor and. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, as I read the chapter, practice radical candor, and this is totally me. Everything's radical. Everything's got to be defined as <laughs> radical <laughs> candor, radical empathy, radical this, radical that. Am I missing something? Why Why, does, no. why do we have to do all this stuff radically? Can't we yeah. just be candid? Isn't that not yeah. enough? Or does that well, need be radical? Can you help me understand the two of I you, can help, help you. Me understand <laughs> it.
2: Thank you. Uh, So I got this, I stole this from Kim Scott, you know, admittedly, who has that awesome book, Radical Candor, and uh, someone who is in your backwoods, uh, Kelly Leonard at Second City, and he Mm -hmm. partnered with her on a program. But what Kim admitted to me was that she wanted to call it Compassionate Candor, but Compassionate Candor probably wouldn't have sold many books, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, right. So it's a marketing thing.
2: (laughs) So Dan Pink was the one that actually came up with the term radical candor, I think in an elevator, at least the title of the book, maybe she had, you know, come up with the one of the angles on it. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, I I ran with it the last minute. I almost changed it. And I think in the chapter, I include compassionate candor yeah. and mm-hmm. I, I do use it in teaching, you know, or coaching or whatever uh, this the topic but I also wanted to pin it to her great work and kind of yeah. give her credit. But I agree with you. Like, why can't we just call it, you know, compassionate candor or just candor, you know? Um, so I well, don't know.
0: I, I, I always thought Sean um, for what it's worth. And I don't know if I thought it was the intention of the, whoever coined the phrase, but I always thought, or at least in my mind was telling myself, the reason we're calling it radical candor is because candor isn't such short supply. Mm. And the idea of being candid is radical, just mm. the very nature of it. So, um, I mean, I, I I like to think of that as a nice way to frame it because it it takes work, it, it takes trust building, and all those things. So, it's, for what it's, it's worth, that nice helps way to frame you, it. Sean, it does. does it
1: does help me. But then people use it; they're putting it. I mean, it's an adjective for everything these days. It is. I it mean, is, and so yeah. and it, so, yeah. It's just yes. You, I appreciate your framing. Um, so there's what there's one story that you tell and maybe you can expand on this, but I have to tell it because it's a personal anecdote for me. So Christine talks about uh the Demoulis market basket in the in the book and um Chris we're going to explain to you that this was a family battle of a grocery chain in Massachusetts and and um and it's I mean it gets to community, it gets to civility it's a whole and it was a, it, all across the papers. But anytime I see DeMoulis, my grandmother, I would go to her house, and she like, "Hey, Sean, do you want a sandwich?" the The, the boiled ham was five bucks a pound up at the DeMoulis. I'm like, <laughs> "Grandma, I'm good." So, um, classic bat business battle between civility and incivility between family members. Any additional commentary about you know what happened there?
2: That I know of?
1: Yeah did you study Did you study it at all?
2: Not really. If that was the one that I think was in the Mastering Civility book, buried yeah, somewhere late in the chapter. Yeah, was a battle between
1: family members on who was, and they were going to let it die. And, yeah. there were, and there were the employees that loved the, the one. I think it was brothers, they loved yeah. the brothers that ran the company. And the other brother wanted to steal it away and... And it was an uproar. And I I think it went the right way, but I don't really remember.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think that actually the uh, we'll call him the bad brother was yeah. um in charge, was the leader. The the good brother got pushed out. And uh yeah, in right. fact, the employees and maybe even a lot of customers really rallied, yeah. like meaning holding up signs and coming yes. and you know, kind of boycotting and so forth. And They actually changed the outcome where the good brother came back and uh, I think it lived on. I have not followed the story closely since I I don't unfortunately spend much time in New England uh, anymore. But, uh, you know, it it was a it was a happy ending, which I was glad about. I wanted to pick the story because, you know, good triumph in my mind. Um, But yeah, you do see that in different family businesses where Mm -hmm. it comes to that. But honestly, like I've heard, I feel like stories like that with countries too, you know, it's just, I mean, that's kind of one of these uh, normal stories, so to speak. And I do, I love that idea of like the good triumphs over bad in the long run because of the reputation and that people are willing. And that's what I try to Uh, teach, as you can tell, probably not as as well as I'd like to articulate, but in the, in the sense that reputation matters and that you might succeed for a while, kind of, you know, holding people down or, you know, using your power, so to speak, by belittling people or demeaning them or taking advantage of them. But I, I absolutely agree with the idea that sooner or later, they're going to want to push you off the ledge or they're going to celebrate big time when you fall. Mm-hmm. And there's story mm. after story, like Nardelli at Home Depot, I think was one that was that kind of classic story as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's a good um, image to keep in mind, the celebration after you've fallen <laughs> off the cliff. That's the reason to be civil right there. We've just wrapped it up in a nutshell. Um Christine, I feel like it's been, we've been talking for 10 minutes uh, yeah. um, and I am going to have to leave to go pick up my kid shortly. Um, do you have anything else to, that you want to add before I ask you just three short questions?
2: No, go ahead.
0: Sean, do you want to, Do you have anything else? You, Cause I know you No, this has like-
1: been great uh, to your point. I mean, it, it's gone. There's so much more for us to talk about um, that are in the book. So I just encourage people to go read the books. Uh, mastering community, mastering civility um which we'll encourage them to do at the opening as well, but um you know it's just about who do you want to be mm-hmm. I mean going back to how we say, who do you want to be and i don't know, i think personally, i think life's a lot better if you just want to be a civil person engaged in quality relationships. life's just the great it's so much better so.
0: Before I get to the, we have these like inside the actor studio questions. Those are the three questions I'm referring to. But before we get there, I'm a big I'm a big consumer of like Udemy and Coursera. Have you ever thought about putting any of your classes online?
2: I have. Uh, I am glad to look into it. I mean, I would love to find ways to get the word out there more broadly. And I've kind of tried to do the, you know, I used to think Harvard Business Review was like, great. And then my brother who, Mike, who was a journalist you know, we were trying to figure out where to position stuff. I was like, New York Times. I mean, I think HBO's written. Who's like, uh, New York Times? You know, like broader numbers. <laughs> yeah, like, right. like right. What, what planet are you from? You know, and I was like, okay, right. And sure enough, that was totally the case. So yeah. I think, you know, the book stuff. I really need to learn how to sell books. I think that's where I'm behind. But the messaging is important to get out there. So I'm very open to. How do I get this stuff out there more broadly? Because the community book, for example, uh, I really was striving because people will say this after talks like families need this. The PTA needs this. Our church needs this, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to pull examples like the hundred thousand homes is about Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. that housed over a hundred thousand homeless people you know, I want to use school examples. I want to, I, you know, my, of course, I love sports. So I used probably too many of those, but I think it, I would love for it to get into hands, for example, coming from Holy Cross and being Catholic and all that, like, in any religious type of community or in Mm -hmm. any kind of school or university where it could be helpful. I do think that I am very concerned with mental health. Like that is an area where I'd like to pull into in part working with athletes at colleges now Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. seeing, sadly, I mean, fortunately not where I am right now at UNC, but like the suicides and so forth. And I just think if we could help people at earlier stages, meaning there wasn't as much bullying, there was more kindness, like Chris, your daughter, you know, sentiment and so forth. I would love that. So that's why, like I mentioned the kids book, which I've been talking to my nephew for a couple of years now that he's been producing this stuff. But I, I just wonder, like, how do we get this into more hands? It doesn't have to be my book. You know, it could be other stuff, but the messages, and for me, part of it has been what I had a lot of fun with the Mastering Community was the inspiring stories. Um, they're not about me. I get to share other stories that I think are doing tremendous good for the world. Uh, and so I think the combination of stories that can move emotions and data, which I have or can find from others, hopefully, like, both or one speak to people such that they'll think twice about who they are and who they want to be and work to close the gap.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's great, um, I, yeah. I Sean. I don't think I we've had a single episode where I haven't dropped at least one f bomb, and I, I, I try to decide it. if I want to keep that streak going or if I want to try to go clean
1: this time. Well, the fact that you're at you're bringing it up means you're getting ready to. Well, I guess.
0: no, I it, it would have a place in this next statement, um, but Giddy but in, ter- in terms of in terms of selling books. I hope that that your brother Mike is fucking happy with three million <laughs> views on your one of your TED talks, right? Come on. I mean, that's a great way to say hopefully yeah, that's you know yeah, that's gonna yeah, help.
2: Yeah. Anyway, I hope sorry, so. Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries, no worries.
0: Um, okay, so here's three quick questions. Um uh, apologies if they seem cheesy, but we like them. Mm. So uh what do you wish you could have told your 10-year-old
2: self? That's a great question. Uh not to fear losing. I think the idea of learning from your losses and not holding on to them would be helpful.
0: I I, I love that because I I I've known you for an hour <laughs> and I know how competitive you are. So <laughs> oh, yeah, I got
1: six more questions on that on that riddle. <laughs> I know. Uh she was playing gonna... on the boys' soccer team. She was beating boys. <laughs> I know. I
2: don't know Um, about beating, but playing. Uh
0: Uh (laughs) Um, Okay, here we go. Well, what do you hope that people will say about you at your wake?
2: That I had a positive effect on people. I helped them thrive and create communities that helped people thrive.
0: Awesome. Uh, Last one. Do you have a mantra in life or even one these
2: days? Yeah, the who do you want to be was one, I actually wrote it on a post it the day I got tenure. Uh, that was mm. the, I, that was kind of the, I wanted that to be what guided me in the future to not let fear, let's say of not, whatever, even though, you know, tenure is, my siblings still don't know what it means of care, you know, which is fine, Um But I think that idea of using that as your guidepost, whether it's small questions throughout the day, how to respond to someone that's rude or the big questions like, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to spend it? What am I going to work on? Who am I going to surround myself with? All of those things for me, they tie back to that question pretty fundamentally.
0: I I love that. I think it's the first mantra we've heard that comes in the form of a question, Um, but it it, but it implies that we have a choice, and and it's awesome. I you're I will give you license to go and write next to that. Be cool to everyone because you never know who's going to have a party if if you so choose. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that your mantra? Is that your mantra
0: these days? It's not a bad mantra. It's It's not not a bad mantra. It's not bad. Um, Well, Christine, you're awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for
2: having me. It was a lot of fun, as you could tell. I
1: was
2: smiling the whole time, laughing a lot, which I hope doesn't ruin your podcast edits.
1: (laughs) No, we don't edit like anything. So, yeah, no. So we, you know, we we love the smiling and laughing. So, thank you. Yeah, Um, thanks so much.
2: Thank you.
0: This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far.
1: And this is Sean. Remember to check us out at menliving.org.